0: that's what i'm talking about wait okay now from the beginning
1: welcome to bs beyond stereotypes a podcast about lawyers using their authentic
0: voices to change the world from my perspective though i gotta be honest i don't get too hung up on uh, maybe what people may consider me or or call me or call members of our community. What I I think is more focused on is um, being less invisible and being recognized. Uh, From my perspective, you can call me whatever you want. I've been called a lot of things in my life, right? I mean, I just want to be, and I think folks in in our community, um, in, in all different communities of different ethnicities, They want to really be recognized and provided with opportunities, opportunities to compete, opportunities for jobs, uh, recognition, right? So I don't get too hung up on the nomenclature. I just want to really be included.
1: Welcome to B.S. Beyond Stereotypes. I'm your host, Merle Vaughn. Here to B.S. with me today is Dennis Garcia, whose story I find fascinating and who will no doubt inspire all of you to embrace your authenticity. Hey, Dennis, how you doing?
0: I'm doing great today, Merle, and it's great to be here. And and thank you for the opportunity to uh, speak to you and to your audience. Absolutely. Thanks
1: for joining us. Uh, I really appreciate it. I should say that Dennis and I met, we were both on a panel um, about diversity uh, in the law. And uh, I just was really wanting to hear more from you and learn more from you. And I thought, I have a podcast. I can invite them to be on my podcast.
0: Well, that's great. And I had so much fun uh, participating uh, on that panel, I, I learned from from all of you, and it was just uh, it was terrific. It was a lot of fun. Let's
1: back up a okay. little bit here. Sure. I, I I know you're excited, but let's okay. let's find out a little bit about you. So sure. let's te- let's uh, you know uh, what I know is that you are currently uh, assistant general counsel at Microsoft. Um, I believe you've you've been there for uh, about eighteen years. Um, you uh, attended um, Binghamton University, which is new to me, um, uh, and got and received your bachelor's in poli sci and business there. Prior before attending uh, Columbia Law School, where you you received your day, J.D. Um you started out working at IBM, uh, then moved to Accenture. Uh, and like I said before, you've been at Microsoft for 18 years. And it's my understanding that you, you have practiced at the intersection of law, technology, and business for over 20 years. Did, did I get all that right? And did I leave anything out?
0: No, that's that's you got it pretty much uh, right. The the only thing I would change is uh, the, the college I went to was actually called Binghamton University. It's in it's in upstate New York. It's about three three and a half hours northwest of uh, of New York City. But uh, but that's absolutely right. And and I live now in the uh, the greater Chicago area in a suburb of Chicago called Hinsdale. Before that, I I lived in uh, Chicago for uh, for well uh, over uh, twenty years. I'm a native New Yorker, but uh, I'm also a a proud Chicagoan as well.
1: Okay, and I was going to ask you where you were from, and um, I I'd like to start there. I'd like to start with, you know, how you know where you're from, you know, how you grew up, um, what influences we uh, were in your life to help you um, as a Latino uh, uh, person, reach the heights that you have.
0: Sure. Um, so'll I'll say a few things. Uh, you know, I grew up in the New York City area, was born in the Bronx, uh, but uh, grew up in a suburb of uh, of New York City, uh, about twenty miles north of the Bronx called Scarsdale, uh, which is a very nice uh, suburb. Uh, of New York City, so so my grandparents originally were from uh, the island of, uh, of Puerto Rico uh, that they came to uh, to the mainland back in the uh, in the 1930s and uh, and met in, in New York City in the Bronx and started uh, a, a family and so um, and my grandmother um, uh, bless her, her her bless her uh, she's 101 and still. Uh, lives in the New York City area. And I I speak to her once a week and to catch up. And she provides me with a lot of a lot of inspiration. And that's
1: amazing.
0: it, It really is amazing. And one thing which is amazing about her, of course, being 101 years old, and she lives with my aunt and uncle. So she's not in any sort of assisted Living facility, but um, to me, she she still is the same since I was, you know, a, a little boy, if you will. You know, I mean, I, uh, she's, she, you know, she's she's very articulate. Um, she's she's very energetic. Um, she, I think um, one of the reasons why she's lived so for so long is her ability to move forward. She's constantly in mm-hmm. motion, constantly moving forward, constantly having a positive attitude. Um, in life, and I spent a lot of time uh, with with my grandparents growing up as a kid, Uh, even though when we moved to the suburbs of New York City, uh, we'd spent a lot of time with them in the Bronx and going back to the Bronx, and um, she's had a really big influence uh, on my life in terms of my outlook on things to try to be as positive as possible and trying to also uh, understand the importance of of rebounding uh, Mm -hmm. and moving forward when you do have setbacks. We've all had uh, setbacks uh, in our lives. And she's also been a very positive influence for me when it comes to my faith and and working hard and uh, excelling in in education and and working hard uh, in the workforce. The same thing with with, with one of my grandparents too. Actually, all all of my grandparents, but... um, I had a, my grandpa who passed away about five years ago. He lived to be a hundred years old. So wow. uh, we've had some really good uh, longevity in That's our the family. The genes so far. <laughs> hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll keep it up, but um, you know, they were really big influences, uh, you know, all my grandparents. And I, I appreciate the fact that I was able to spend quality time with them growing up as a kid. Uh, but then of course, you know, I had big influences from from my parents. Both my parents were born in New York City, in the Bronx, raised in the Bronx in, in New York City, um, and worked really hard to, tr- to to provide their their kids, um, my, myself and my brother, my younger brother, a ba- better way of life in terms of moving to, to the suburbs. And, you know, it, it was great um, growing up uh, in, in Scarsdale. Um, it's a very nice affluent suburb, but I will say that um, you know, growing up there, I was probably one of the few um, Latinx, you know, kids uh, in, in Scarsdale, quite frankly. You didn't see mm-hmm. too many folks with their last names, such as Garcia, Gonzalez, or Rodriguez. It was, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit different uh, growing up there. In, in hindsight, you um, I'm glad my family, you know, had the means to be able to provide me with with that that livelihood and growing up, uh, in in the suburbs. But um, one thing I have learned through the years is sometimes, um, as you're um, living in, in different areas, which may not be the same area which you were which you were born into, or which your family's from, you know, you, you lose that connection, right, in mm-hmm. terms of maybe your original heritage. And some people. May even say, "Well, yeah, Dennis, you're Hispanic, but you know, you're really not totally or truly Hispanic, right? (laughs) You didn't grow up, you know, in or you didn't spend you you spent some time sure in the New York City area, but you know, you were growing up in the suburbs, so you're really not Hispanic." And oh, by the way, Dennis, my Spanish is is so so because my parents really didn't teach Spanish to us as kids growing up because back in the day, it wasn't looked at as something really to do because you really wanted to make sure that you spoke English and that you assimilated as much as possible. Some, some people will say to me, well, Dennis, you know, you're really maybe not Hispanic because your, 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 um, your Spanish is very, so isn't that great? You know, so I've, I've experienced that over the years. So, so I say that because in some respects I have found myself, um, you know, b- between different sorts of identities, you know, in, in mm-hmm. my culture and growing up, and now, you know, a, 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 as a lawyer, so it, it is very interesting.
1: Yeah, and I, I well, first of all, I know your your grandmother has to be very proud of you as as is your entire family. But um, I I noticed that you said Latin X, and that it was one of the questions that I wanted to ask you about, I was listening to uh, a presentation the other day for Hispanic Heritage Month, and there was a conversation about, is it, you know, do you prefer Latino, Latina, Latin, Latinx, Hispanic? Um, I mean, you know, I could go on and on. There's POC, there's BIPOC, there's all kinds of things. And and as a black person, you know, I I am always going on record saying that I prefer to be called black. Um although I I would I don't correct people. How and Latin X is new, right? I've even heard that now people are saying Latin A. Um what are your thoughts about all that?
0: It's, a, it's an interesting question, right? Um, I, I'm probably a little more older school, if you will, so I, I probably subscribe to um, uh, maybe the Hispanic uh, terminology as opposed to maybe Latino or Latinx or maybe something else. Uh, I think Hispanic, some people will say that's probably a holdover from Maybe some of the uh, the, the census work, uh, you know, in our country for for a long period period of time. Latinx is sort of a sort of a newer, maybe sort of hipper. Maybe some people <laughs> will say also maybe more inc- a more inclusive, um, you know, perspective of of our Hispanic slash Latinx slash Latino uh, community, which of course is also extremely diverse. And I think that's one of the cool. Things about um, being Hispanic, Latinx, or Latino, whatever we, we call uh, our, our community of folks. From my perspective, though, I got to be honest, I, I don't get too hung up on uh, maybe what people may consider me or, or call me or call members of our community. What I, I think is more focused on is um, being less invisible and being mm-hmm. recognized. Yep. Uh, from my perspective, you can call me whatever you want. I've been called <laughs> a lot call of Just call me, right? Right. I mean, <laughs> I just want to be, and I think folks in, in our community, um, in, in all different communities of different ethnicities, they want to really be recognized and provided with opportunities, opportunities to compete, opportunities for jobs, uh, recognition, right? So I don't get too hung up on the nomenclature. I just want to mm-hmm. really be included.
1: I hear you. I hear. I. I absolutely. Somebody said the other day. I don't care. I. I don't care which one you call me. Just call me,
0: right? <laughs> just call me. Just. Just provide me with an opportunity. You know, allow me to have my my voice uh, be heard. Basically, right? And uh, right. And that's really what we want at the end of the day.
1: And so, at um, Microsoft for eighteen years, um, how has it been? Have you felt included the entire time have things changed uh over time do you you know you've you've obviously been able to to be uh to 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 have opportunities and move up how do you feel you were able to do that
0: sure a a few thoughts and actually i'll be it'll be 19 years in two months i can't believe i've been at microsoft for 19 years but that's that's incredible i feel very fortunate Uh, to be a a, a long uh, Microsoft employee to, to, and I'm biased on this too, to what I think is the greatest uh, legal department on the planet. I mean, so, but to to answer your question, I I have felt uh, very included over the years. Now, that said, I have sort of a unique role in that I have always been in the Chicago area supporting Mm -hmm. our Microsoft U.S., field, sales, marketing, and, and services team. So I have never worked in our corporate headquarters in Redmond, Washington, although, of course, I've traveled there a lot uh, over the years. So I've, I've been in this sort of a, a field um, uh, base role. And um, when I look at my team and the team which my, my, my manager leads, or North America Microsoft legal team, uh, it's been a very diverse team for a long period of time, uh, which uh, I know we've been very, very proud of. Um, so I feel like uh, my, our media team has been highly diverse and inclusive for a long, long period of time. I think the Microsoft legal department, when you look at it all up, when I started nine, almost 19 years ago, certainly wasn't as diverse as it, as it is now. Uh, it's made a lot of really great strides and advancements in becoming more diverse and more inclusive, and, that, and the credit, of course, is is really to uh, to our Microsoft president and vice chair Brad Smith, yep. who's been in that role now for for a long time, for about twenty plus years, and uh, him and his his senior leadership team uh, have made it a, a very very big point uh, that that our legal team. Needs to be more diverse and inclusive, and statistics have shown over a period of time that that, uh, that 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 has happened. So, do I do really feel uh, that uh, that my voice is being heard? Uh, that uh, we are an inclusive team. That said, you could always make some some improvements, right? I mean, you're not going to be in a situation where uh, I think it's it's perfect, but I do believe. Um, since I've worked at Microsoft, I've had managers and managers of managers and our senior leaders, uh, who've been very accessible to me. And I've always been interested in my perspective and my opinion on my opinion, and also our colleagues' opinions on, on a variety of different matters, including how do we, uh, advance more diversity and inclusion.
1: Right. And, and, um, uh, Microsoft clearly, as you said, it has been at the forefront of insisting that their outside lawyers uh, uh, pay attention to diversity on their teams. Um, I remember uh, that Microsoft was one of the first companies to um, provide both carrots and sticks with, ref- with respect to their um, outside counsel. Um, what what are you guys doing these days?
0: Well, yeah, Uh, several years ago, Brad and the SLT put together a very unique program where we provide financial uh, benefits and incentives to our large preferred provider law firms if they meet certain key metrics in advancing diversity and inclusion. And those metrics, I think, have evolved over a period of time. Uh, But we've had some um, uh, information which we've shared to the public uh, regarding uh, uh, how our, our preferred partners um, are, are moving forward with their diversity and inclusion initiatives. So So we definitely provide financial benefits to our preferred partners uh, if they if they invest more in, in inclusion and diversity and based upon uh, key diversity and inclusion metrics. We've also have hired over the years, um, in addition to our preferred provider firms, A mosaic of of law firms, small uh, law firms, uh, minority and women-owned law firms. I know we've been very active uh, in NAMWOLF and other uh, uh, legal industry uh, uh, diversity affinity groups. We've been very active with the Hispanic National Bar Association, the National Bar Association, National Association of Women Lawyers, uh, NAPABA. I mean, we can go on and on. I know my colleagues, are very actively in all of those affinity groups. Many of them have taken on leadership roles in those affinity groups. We've sponsored uh, those affinity groups. And I know, you know, at least pre-COVID, when we had um, uh, in-person meetings, we would have a number of Microsoft lawyers and legal professionals attend their events and participate in panels uh, and, and other uh, initiatives. And uh, we've also have been able to, to hire uh, great lawyers uh, from the law firms that we have used uh, in the past as well. And that's been sort of a, a way for us to um, uh, accelerate our, our pipeline of more okay. diverse and inclusive uh, of lawyers. I know that when my team and I, uh, you know, we, we use outside counsel a fair amount, uh, that um you know, we're requiring more and more that we want to make sure that the lawyers who are doing our work are um, are from a, a diverse uh, uh, orientation, basically. And uh, and uh, we've, we've been very, very clear to our, uh, our firms that uh, that's something which we expect. And, you know, from, from our perspective, um, it, you know, it's not just really the quote unquote right thing to do, but it makes so much business sense, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's been... Studies would show time and time again that uh, teams which are more diverse and inclusive outperform teams which are less diverse and inclusive. And of course, when you look at Microsoft customers, um, we have a broader array of customers out there and we need to make sure that we're serving them appropriately. So it's important that when we're designing our products, that we have a diverse team of engineers, that when we're selling our products, we have a diverse team of sellers, when we're creating contracts and, and figuring out our legal practices that we have a diverse team of lawyers who are helping us right so it's really more than anything else a real important uh business uh I- imperative and so I, I really um you know i remain excited and uh, the work which we've done uh, on diversity and inclusion with our uh, outside council partners and and also within the microsoft legal department and what's interesting about my role like a lot of Microsoft lawyers, um, you know, we view ourselves as ambassadors of our company, and I'll connect very often with uh, lawyers uh, at our customers and partners, and they're always asking me for thoughts on, well, what does Microsoft do in this area of diversity Mm -hmm. and inclusion? What are you doing with regard to Uh, having uh, affinity groups or, you know, employee resource groups within the Microsoft legal department. How are you thinking about these sorts of issues? Right. And so what I love about the role too, is I feel that um, uh, people look at, and lawyers look at Microsoft as being one of the marketplace leaders and, and they're asking for our help and counsel and thoughts. And so we, we engage in that knowledge sharing. And of course, by doing that, we're also learning a lot from them and also building, closer relationships with our customers and partners and the legal and compliance decision makers who work for them.
1: So thanks for that. Um, and I will tell you that I am a huge Microsoft. I I've, I bought Microsoft stock, geez, probably 30, 25 years ago. Um, and it's been very, very good to me. I, I'm one of those people who buys stock and holds it. Um, and, uh, I, and so, and and at the time that I bought the Microsoft stock, I, uh, my husband and I had a business where we did, um, uh, sound systems and surveillance systems and Microsoft was one of our customers and we had to go up to Washington and install a bunch of systems. Uh, and we were so impressed with how Microsoft did business, um and how fair they were and uh and, and all of that compared to a lot of our other customers that I actually bought stock and i've held it all that time and it's been very good to me so keep keep doing everything you're doing because i own stock
0: uh well, thank you for that thanks for being a great customer and a great microsoft shareholder and of course over the last seven or eight years especially since Satya Nadella has been CEO. It, it's amazing what uh, uh, what we've done and, and you know under his leadership and, and uh, the senior leadership team. And uh, so that, that's great to hear. Thank you for sharing.
1: Uh, about four months ago, you started uh, a, a series called Hashtag Three Strikes. Um, and it's a series of videos where you give in-house lawyers uh, your take on on uh uh three things uh that are or words of wisdom or things takeaways um maybe from your career from your uh experience how how did that come about
0: yeah no i I love doing that thanks for uh, mentioning that and so that came about i want to say six or seven months ago um Well, I wanted to try to do something different uh, in terms of my content and to come across in a a way on on video. I mean, I think one thing which we're learning more and more through social media is that if you could do a a quick sort of hit video, if you will, um, you know, people are more maybe willing to, to watch that, especially if the content is interesting. So I figured, let me try something a little bit different. I've experimented in the past on videos, but now I've been trying to do it more consistently, maybe once a month where I'll put a video out on, on a particular uh, subject. And, and I use the moniker Three Strikes because I'm a big baseball fan. And of course, uh, yeah, if, you're, if you're a pitcher, you're trying to throw strikes. So that's how I use the name Three Strikes. Uh, but, but I try to come up with a video, which is no longer than three to four minutes, where I share some perspective, three best practices on a particular topical area. And, um, you know, there's been a few times where I've had, uh, uh, my dog in the video, my little (laughs) dog Coco. There's been times I've done it outside. I've done it in our house. Uh, sometimes I'll wear some baseball uh, apparel or a a hat or something. I try to make it interesting and fun. Um, but what I'm trying to do basically is, uh, to to share some, some, some learnings, which I've had over the years of being an in-house lawyer. I've been I've had the privilege of always being in-house for my entire career. I've learned a lot. I've been able to learn from some terrific lawyers and senior business leaders. And what I'm trying to do is just to provide some basic practical guidance in certain areas. I see a lot of content out there, which um, which may sound good, but it may still be very theoretical in nature. So I'm trying to give some content to maybe some um, maybe some of the younger uh, lawyers out there, or maybe folks who are starting in-house counsel practice uh, from from somebody who's got some experience in, in this uh, space. But uh, but but it reminds me I need to do one. I haven't done one now in about three or four <laughs> weeks, and I, and I gotta I gotta do it. You know, I get these ideas when I go out for my uh, daily runs or walks. I'll, I'll I'll come up with some you know ideas on a particular topic. And what I also found too is that. Doing some of these short videos, you know, it, it's not easy. It takes some work. I go through, you know, some some takes, if you will, and I gotta, uh, you know, sort of practice what I'm gonna say, obviously. And then, you know, you're you're in you're in front of your computer when I'm taping it, so I have to make sure I've got the appropriate eye contact and everything. My, my point being is, I think doing some of these videos has helped me become, hopefully, a more effective and succinct communicator because so much of what we do as in-house lawyers with our business clients is that we need to be, uh, very brief. We need to be very crisp and, uh, and we need to be very targeted and thoughtful in our advice. Well, the one, one of the ones I watched a couple
1: of them, but the one that I thought, um, really resonated was the one about Anthony Rizzo's trade from the Cubs to the Yankees. Uh, and your three strikes were, uh, you said you have to have range uh you have to uh uh be helpful to your teammates and you have to embrace change and the quote that I wrote down which I really loved was change is the only constant in our personal and professional
0: lives well thank you and you know uh, th- you yeah, i I remember when Rizzo was traded I, and I felt bad I'm a Yankees fan so I was very happy that he was traded to the Yankees of course because they needed. Uh, a really uh, an excellent first baseman, but I also felt bad for a lot of friends of mine who were Chicago Cubs fans and and Rizzo, um, you know, is beloved here in Chicago and and they treated, you know, a number of their players. But uh, I know it is a cliche expression about change is the only constant or the only constant is change. But, um, but I'll tell you, that's, that's one thing which I've learned, not just in the workplace and at Microsoft, but also just in our, in, in our lives. Right. I mean, it's, as we all know, it's tough to evolve and change. Um, but, um, but you know, we're going to go through ups and downs and different experiences in, in life. And, um, I think the best, um, if you look at the best lawyers, the best entertainers, the best sports figures, the best of the best, they're constantly adapting and changing, right? They, they really are. And the ones who are, um, uh, are on the top for a long period of time. I mean, I think they, they have to constantly be able to change and adapt. And so, um, you yeah, know, as I've gotten more mature and older, I've, I've been trying to be better at embracing uh, change as much as I can and being a better uh, friend, being a better lawyer, being a better husband, uh, being a better dad. Right. And uh, all of that, you know, it, it takes work. Right. And well, so, well, and also, I mean, when you talk about
1: change like that, I I think about your hundred and one year old grandmother and how much change, um, she's seen, uh, throughout her life and the kinds of things that she probably never could have, uh, imagined. I, I remember when when my father was, uh, ninety. I think it was was when uh Obama he got to he got to vote you know, for Obama. And I, you know, I, I took him to the polling place and he could barely see, but he knew what he was doing and he got to vote. I mean, the idea to, to have lived long enough to see that and go through the things that they've gone through, that, that is that's really experiencing change.
0: Oh, there's no doubt, and it's really hard for me. I can't, I cannot be empathetic to you know what my grandmother has seen over such a long period of time. I mean, she came to uh, to the mainland from Puerto Rico as a very uh, young girl, and uh, she lived through uh, the Depression, obviously World War II. Uh, she, her, her son, my dad, went to the Vietnam War and served there for a period of time. I mean, she's seen, of course. Uh, recessions, the Great Recession. She's seen, you know, COVID nineteen. I mean, she, so, so many things. She September eleventh. September eleventh. Absolutely, especially being in the New York City area. Absolutely, and I remember. Um, but it was sort of interesting that you know one thing about her too is that she's uh, she's incredibly fearless. You know, there were you know some folks have maybe been a little concerned at least initially when the the vaccine came out first, uh, but she she couldn't wait to get the vaccine. Right. She, right. she was, she's scared. been through so much, right? So much. And she knew that this is going to, you know, help us and help her to continue to move forward and live. And she has seen so much for such a long period of time. You know, she lost her husband, she lost her son. I mean, she's obviously, you know, ups and downs, you know, during the, 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 the her life that, um, She wasn't afraid. She's not afraid of anything. Right. And in many respects, that's why I love speaking to her once a week, because um, when I speak to her, her voice is so clear and energetic and she's sort of pumping me up. I mean, she's got more energy than I do, you know, right. Much more energy than my 10 year old son. And I just be able to speak to her sort of makes me feel better and positive. And uh, and yeah, it's just it's just truly amazing. She's really a, a force of nature.
1: I love that, and you know, speaking of of the the uh, pandemic and COVID, um, I know that you know uh, the the Black community and the Hispanic community have been have been hit particularly hard. Um, you know, it, it, culturally, you know, what do you have you thought about what we need to be doing to help these help our communities?
0: Well, I think it's um I, I think it's in some respects continue to to uh, maybe to communicate and maybe quite frankly over the 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 good benefits of, of having the vaccine and, and showing uh depicting uh you know the data, the benefits associated with, with getting it and uh, how it's gonna put you in a better position. I think there I think we I my own view is I think we probably need to communicate uh even more to, to folks about this, and I think we also, quite frankly, is my own opinion, is that I think uh, there's an opportunity for people who are more opportunity for people who are viewed as role models in our communities to be even more uh, open and 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 touting the importance of, of getting this vaccine. I think there's an opportunity uh, for for business leaders, for 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 athletes, for other people in our communities who we look up to to be even more. Um, uh, clearer and more active in, in talking about the uh, why we all need to get vaccinated. So I, I think there's some opportunities there. But, I, but my view is we, we got to, it's a little bit like when I connect with my business clients, I feel like I've got to over communicate to them. I got to tell them that maybe the same thing, maybe in different ways or ways in which it may be able to be, it could may land with them. And we may have to adjust our communication style a little bit so that maybe there's a, greater likelihood that the messaging and the positive messaging of the vaccine will get through to them. So, well,
1: thank you for that. I know it's a little off, off the subject, (laughs) but you know, this is, we are just BSing here. Um, uh, So speaking of stereotypes, um, what stereotypes do you feel like you've had to overcome, uh, endure and overcome and, and why? Um, or what stereotypes do you feel like uh, people may have about you that are either right or wrong
0: oh well I, I think earlier on in my career I definitely wasn't as um, maybe proactive in maybe managing my career in terms of the progression of my career as I probably you know should have had uh, I think I was a little bit um, late to realizing the importance of building relationships with more senior people and in, in the companies I've worked for uh, a little bit more laid back, maybe a, a view of being a little more hands-off and laissez-faire, if you will. And I think by, by maybe being that, I think maybe some folks might have thought that, Hey, maybe Dennis isn't so interested in what he's doing, or maybe not interested in becoming more senior in our company um, you yeah, know, there, there could be a perception which is which is which is created, whether it's right or wrong. Um, so I, I, that that's probably come up uh, on occasion. I think when I look back in my career too, and this is this is shows how we we evolve and change. Earlier in my career, as an example, I was not a, a fan of of, of of public speaking and uh, giving presentations in front of a, a live audience. It was something which, uh, quite frankly, I Avoided doing whenever I whenever I could avoid it. You know, I was I just didn't have that confidence, or I was fearful in doing that. And I think for a period of time uh, that might have held me back in terms of not being uh, a very crisp or clear communicator uh, in in a, in a sort of a public setting and audience. I think that held me back while uh, my colleagues were, were were more highly proficient in that area. And what I learned from my my father, I remember it was like. 12 or 13 years ago, I remember speaking to him uh, about the fact that, you know, I, I wanted to advance further in my career. And he was, he was, uh, I was like, dad, you know, what, what more should I do? Uh-huh. And, you know, he was clear with me that Dennis, you you need to do, you have to go above and beyond, right? You just can't do your quote unquote day job. Okay. And do that very well and expect to have more opportunities, uh, whether it's at your company or somewhere else, you got to do more. So, he encouraged me to um, think about starting to write articles on certain topics in the legal profession, started started doing that. I started becoming more active on social media. Then once that happened, people were asking me to maybe give presentations and to speak publicly. And, And although I was still a little fearful in doing that, I realized that by getting that practice, and presenting uh, once or twice or three or four times a month in front of a public audience, um, you get better at it, right? I mean, I'm not um, I'm not President Obama, I'm not uh, President Clinton, I'm not Brad Smith, I'm not you know the the best orator or speaker in the world, but I think it's sort of a learned skill where you could become a more proficient communicator with practice, 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 and a lot of it is also based upon repetitions and confidence. And uh, then I, so I changed and I realized that I needed to grow um, some additional skill sets, basically. And I think I've done a, a much better job at, uh, at working on, on those sort of skills, what people will say maybe are the softer skills, if you will. Right. So, what,
1: what, yeah, and we're, we're about out of time here. And I want to give you an opportunity to end with some words of advice wisdom, words of advice, you know, particularly to, to young folks, um, hopefully to young uh, Latinx um, folks, and also to potential employers of those folks um, about, um, you know, that would be helpful for them uh, in, in owning who they are, and and being authentic and and being successful
0: well i will say to potential employers uh is that um uh and i guess one point i would say is once you're you're you you've brought in some, some great talent um uh take the time to to really nurture and invest in that talent and i guess what i mean by that is I, I think uh, sometimes, um, unfortunately, uh, people in the Latinx, uh, Black, African-American, maybe Asian-American and other ethnicities in those communities, sometimes they haven't received uh, the proper feedback, if you will, uh, about uh, themselves of being a lawyer, areas in which they can grow, areas in which they can they can improve, and areas in which they develop. I think Naturally, we may have this sort of unconscious bias that we feel comfortable in sharing feedback to people who may look like us, who sound like us, who remind us of us, basically. But then sometimes we're less inclined to provide feedback or coaching to people who may not be like us, quote unquote, right? And I guess one thing I would say is don't be shy in giving feedback. Uh, to people, you know, so that you're investing hopefully in in their success, right? And you're helping them. And when you give that feedback, do it in a way where it's not really tearing someone down, but you know, you're trying to help them. You're trying to support them, right? And so work hard in developing that psychological safety, you know, with your teammates. It's a phrase Mm -hmm. which uh, I know Amy Edmondson, who's I believe a, a professor at Harvard Business School, uh, came up with a few years ago when she wrote a book called *The Fearless Organization*. But I think employers, uh, workers, lawyers—we, we—with our teams, we need to develop more psychological safety with our, our, our teammates. We got to earn their trust, and we got to work on a trusting relationship. Um, in terms of advice, I would give to, you know, young Latinx. Uh, A lawyer, I I would just say a few things. I mean, number one is um, be fearless, be confident and and fearless, really believe in yourself and and your skills, right? Mm -hmm. Um, um, Don't let anyone sort of, you know, push you around, you know, um, be bold, if you will, Um, you know, be yourself, be bold, be fearless. Um, But also you got to really be open to change and to trying things out. Right. Mm-hmm. Be open to trying to do different things. Do you know? Think about stretch assignments, or maybe working in different areas of the law which you haven't worked in before. Right. I mean, think about um, other opportunities. Think about how do you make yourself more marketable? How do you? How do you work on your brand? Because at the end of the day, the reality is we're all brands, right? Mm-hmm. And we have to yep. sort of build that brand. And what do you want? that brand of of, of Dennis Garcia or Merle Bond to be, you know, you have to really think about that and you got to be open to, I think changing and evolving that brand over a a, a period of time. Words
1: to live by my friend, words to live by. I am so glad that you agreed to be here. uh, Dennis to, to BS with me today. It's, it's been Uh, An honor to spend this
0: time with you. And I hope you had a little fun too. I had a great time, Merle. Thank you for thinking about me for this opportunity. Absolutely. And
1: thanks to everyone for listening until the next episode. Remember that everybody is different and different is good.
0: Hit it. That's what I'm talking about. Wait. Okay. Now from the beginning. We
1: hope you enjoyed the stories shared in today's episode of BS, Beyond Stereotypes. Join us next time when another authentic personality unleashes their uniqueness
0: on the world.